Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have two people again. We have Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers, who are the host of another podcast called Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts, which if you're not already listening to, you should definitely listen to, whether you're a prop person or not, because it's amazing. I learned so much exciting things like how to make watermelon look like steak, which blew me away. Uh Anyways, I swear, uh, Stacey advertises your guys' podcast more than she advertises <laughs> our podcast. You probably have more listeners because of Stacey than, than we do. I love the podcast. It's excellent. Uh, okay, so a little bit about them. Eric Hart is the prop master at Triad Stage and a visiting professor at NCU. Uh, at visiting UNCSA. professor. UNCSA. <laughs> He's the author of a couple books, The Prop Building Guide for Theater, Film, and TV, and The Prop Effect Guide, Lights, Motion, Sound, and Magic. Also, we just found out he's an identical twin, so we're pretty excited about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Ashley Flowers has worked as a prop master in New York City, as well as New York Stage and Film, uh, and the main state music theater as a properties artisan for long wharf theater bb props costumes armory yale rep and currently she is down in san diego freelancing and acting so uh, a tech person that goes to the other side so welcome to the podcast hi thanks for having us <laughs> hi uh, so we always like to start because it's always interesting to us how people get into theater so how did you guys get into theater and then end up getting into props in theater? Oh, goodness. Um, Well, so I was a very hyper child (laughs) and my mother really just didn't know what to do with me. So a friend of hers suggested I get into theater just to burn off some energy. So did that, got hooked, and the goal was to do acting. And when I went to college at Ball State University, I didn't get into any of the performing programs so I kind of started working on the tech side and slowly found my way to props and fell in love with it and then just went from there and then moved to New York to do props and yeah, got hooked. It's amazing I, to me how many people we ask this question and I would say probably half are like, we were really hyper as children so our mom put us in theater. That's just <laughs> like so many people got into theater because they're like, well, we couldn't sit still very long so they put us on stage. Yeah, there was a couple <laughs> people so who were like, I was really shy as a kid, so my mom put me in theater to make friends. It's like one yeah. or the other. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I did some theater in high school, just the acting, but I went to college to be an engineer and uh, quickly realized that I did not like that at all. And I had a lot of friends in the theater department, and I was kind of, you know, taking some classes and working in it. And by the time it came... When I had to change my major, I picked theater. I just thought it would be good. And I was interested in set design. So that was what I was trying to do after college and eventually went to grad school where there was a great props program and kind of, you know, took uh, one semester in the prop shop and fell in love. And that's what I've been doing since. Have you found your any engineering knowledge helpful with doing props or did you stick with it long enough? 
Yeah, no, I took like the intro courses, a lot of math and science and that sort of thing. So I, you know, I could understand some math, but I'm not really using that many uh, engineering equations or things like that in props. It's kind of more like, uh, uh, you know, think it through in your head and imagine it. Yeah, that makes sense. So doing props and listening to your guys' podcast, you, I work in smaller theaters in Southern California and the prop mm -hmm. master seems to be more like hand props and maybe some set decorating. But you guys do props in much larger houses and Broadway and stuff. And you guys are in charge of like furniture and entire set pieces. How, mm -hmm. how do you decide or what's the conversation between the set designer and stuff to decide what's a prop versus what's a set piece? I feel that that's different. Um, from show to show, and it's pretty much a conversation that you have with maybe the technical director if there's specific pieces that I might not be able to produce. Maybe it's a lot of carpentry, a lot of engineering in that front that I know myself cannot do or my team cannot do. So I might go to the technical director and say, hey, are you able to take this on or do I need to figure this out and hire somebody outside to come in and build this and kind of just work together on that and show to show. Yeah, we usually look at the set design and, and if it's kind of standard furniture, I'm kind of, you know, shopping that and buying it. It's when you get into this custom stuff that needs to be built. Uh, a lot of times it's kind of just the size. I know there's some uh, props people who say if it could fit in their van, it's a prop. But if it has to go <laughs> in the uh, carpenter's truck, then it's a, a set piece. So there is a, a lot of like negotiation a lot of times because... Mm -hmm. You know, it could also be like a show is super prop heavy, so uh, scenery does the larger furniture. But yeah. if there's only one giant piece of furniture and that's the only prop, maybe the props department takes it on. So it's always, you know, there, there's some stuff that's always props, but there's a lot of stuff that it really depends on the specific show that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't, furniture usually comes to me as the TD. So when props do it, I'm like, oh, nice, you're going to do it? That's excellent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Saves me a lot of time. Uh, one of the episodes I was listening to, you guys were also talking about the overlap. Well, in props, there's so much overlap. But mm -hmm. the biggest one that I found interesting, it was with, I can't remember the name of the guy uh, who works on Broadway, who's done Frozen and Dear Evan Hansen. But he was talking about the overlap with electrics, which I never really considered. Mm. That you guys build the props, but he was saying that on Broadway, at least, anything that has any DMX or anything electronic, as soon as it moves to the theater, it's automatically electrics. Is that kind of common throughout most theaters, or is that really a Broadway union thing? I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, I feel that that's more of a union thing mm -hmm. and dependent mm -hmm. on location. Because I know in yeah. Connecticut, it wasn't necessarily like that. I mean, at Yale, we would build the prop. And if there was any electrics that had to be in it or light up or anything that was beyond our capability, we would build the prop and then hand it over to them to make it electric. And mm -hmm. then we would still deal with it when it was in the theater and everything, if it needed touch-ups or anything like that. But we worked together. In union houses, a lot of the times it's very separate and, you know, very much, nope, this is you, this is me, da-da-da. Yeah, and a lot of places I work, you know, if it's like a hanging chandelier or something, 
once it's up in the air, it's controlled by the light board. And mm -hmm. so it's the, the electrics department that's like checking the light bulbs every day and replacing them as needed. But, you know, if it's something like it needs to be a paint touch up or something, maybe the props will do it. So yeah. maybe it goes like back and forth as opposed to, you know, in a union house, they decide up front which department is in charge. And that's where it stays for the entire run of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just did a show with a whole bunch of candles were they candles no a whole mm. bunch of lights um table lights we had 36 table lights um but they all were remote controlled and so for a little bit there was discussion on who was going to take care of it if it was going to be props or electric and then it got to the point that uh we ended up having props do it because we had more props crew than we had electrics crew so we mm -hmm. like handed it all over to props yeah. but i think electrics went in and changed the batteries and every now and then but they were that that theater was much more flexible they all kind of worked together so it wasn't um, like local one, where it's it's much more segregated. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I've not worked in many union houses, so everybody touches everything in most of the places mm -hmm. I work because they're non-union. So the whole segregation thing would be different for me to try to figure out what am I allowed to touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of the theaters I work in, the crew is usually you know slightly understaffed. So they're all having to do uh, more than one job anyway. That's usually where I work. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you know how to mm -hmm. hang a light, but you're supposed to be a prop person. Great, I need more electrics people. Come over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys find to be one of the most difficult things about? Uh, this is probably a very general question, but one of the most difficult mm -hmm. things about doing props is it finding the props? Is it building the props? I mean, that might be way too general of a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so dependent. It's so dependent on show to show, who you're working with, what kind of show you're doing, where you're doing it. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it really is dependent on the surroundings and the environment. Yeah, I, you know, I, I usually find the most difficult thing is when uh, you have a, a non-specific prop and you can't figure out what the director or designer mm. want exactly. Yeah. And so it becomes a thing where you're shopping, but not, none of the options are right. And you don't know if you should build it because you don't know exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. And you give them rehearsal options, but they're not really reacting to them. And, and, and just trying to like dig down and figure out exactly what they need for that uh, single prop. Because if it's, you know, if it's something that needs to be built and I have drawings great, I'll go and I'll build it. Or if it needs to be shopped, I'll find it. But um, that, that sort of like guessing game and trying to, you know, uh, do the whole psychology of getting them to like, mm -hmm. uh, give you an answer is always a challenge. Yeah, not having information. Definitely. Definitely. I know that's one thing that you talk about a lot. And Cindy wanted to talk about like, because she's a stage manager. And I know you guys a couple mm -hmm. of times have brought up like, please stage managers write every single note in the rehearsal report. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I honestly, I would rather have a million notes in the rehearsal notes every night than come to a run through and be like, oh, I didn't know they, they did that. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. They, they, they perch on that little, little stand there. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, they're jumping on the champagne glasses. <laughs> yeah. That would have been good to know. They like threw the pin across the stage. You're like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. well, that's going to get lost. I'm going to need 10 of those. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of how 
Stacey and I both started in theater. Like we started in props, actually. Um, uh -huh. In high school, we were both doing props before we moved on to other things. So I don't mm -hmm. know if it's that background or the fact that Stacy still does props and is still a TD. And so I kind of have like that brain going for me. But in my rehearsal reports, I tend to be like over, I over give information. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, ac that's not accurate because I don't think there's such a thing as giving too much information. Um, unless it's like pointless information. There's this one station manager I worked with recently that I'm like, why are you writing this in the report? It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Like nobody cares, you know, but I tend to write like everything down. And I've had a few people mm -hmm. be like, well, they can just email us about this. And I said, yeah, but then that's wasting their time. Like, I think yeah. it's better to have it all in one place. Um, and yeah. so I was laughing when I was listening to one of your guys' podcasts because you were mentioning how and this is so true in so many rehearsal reports, you know, you're like, scenic, can you verify if this is six inches high? Costumes, can we add a, a pocket? Lighting, no notes, sound, no notes, props. Here's your 27 notes that came up from last night's Ooh. rehearsal report. And can we have them done in the next 10 hours? I hope uh -huh. you're not sleeping tonight. Because <laughs> that's usually how it happens, you know, at least in uh -huh. opera, rehearsal gets out at like 11 o'clock at night and we start at like noon the next day. And you're like, uh -huh. well, how am I supposed to make this happen? Mm -hmm. So... I've even had, a, like, recently, especially working at companies for multiple seasons, you know, I've become so close with props people and on a, uh, especially texting. So the, the people that I work with in Philadelphia, they said, we'd rather know what's coming up. Like, don't wait till the rehearsal report comes out. If you know that there's something big that you need the next day, they're like, send us a text and we'll start working on it now. Still put it in the re rehearsal report later. But so many times I'll text him at like two o'clock in the afternoon and be like, by the way, the director just asked for 12 more chairs for tomorrow. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> you guys can get on that. And uh, that always seems to work, work so much better. But I wish I could train more stage managers to write notes in my rehearsal report. I don't understand why they're so apprehensive to do so. Uh -huh. Yeah, I had one stage manager who in the report said sending separate email. And I'm like, but right. why? Just put it in the report. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I can understand saying, oh, we need to add four more chairs for tomorrow. We'll send a separate e email with more detail. Like that I get, but just saying I'll send a separate email, that's mm -hmm. no. It needs to be in the report. The report is there for a reason. Yeah. And it's also great when there is like 27 notes in the one rehearsal report. And then the next day they're like, thank you for taking care of all the notes. Cause you know, like the managing director is reading the reports and they're like, wow, that props team is really on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do that all the time. Like I was trained to put in there, like if somebody shows up to rehearsal, like thanks for coming to rehearsal today, or mm -hmm. thanks for fixing this prop or thanks for stopping by and bringing us, you know, two van fulls of new props because so many people get reports these days. I have had like board members on reports, you know, like all these people yeah. and you want them to know what's going on in rehearsal. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I've also worked with stage managers who <laughs> would freak out if the rehearsal report was longer than one page. <laughs> so they would like take notes out if it was longer than one page. And I was like, that's a little counterproductive. Like, don't you want people to know that we're getting all this work done? That's mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just different training, I guess. Mm -hmm. What else Definitely. would you guys ask I guess a two-part question. What else would you ask from a stage manager and what else would you ask from a TD to help make your guys' jobs easier? Uh, uh, 
one of my big things is I always want the stage manager to state the problem rather than just giving a solution. Because mm-hmm. there's always like a big difference if they say like, uh, oh, the chair needs to be two inches shorter. And you're like, well, I don't really want to cut the chair. And then you find out it's uh, it's because they have a you know, a blanket over the chair and, and the blanket's not quite covering the entire chair. And you're like, I could give you a bigger blanket and that's better than chopping down my chair. So I'd rather you, you mm-hmm. know, state the problem rather than trying to offer a solution because usually I have more information about the prop and I could kind of come up with the mm-hmm. solution that better fits, that won't uh, uh, make any other aspect of the production worse off. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I would say that I um it, it's very similar to what Eric just said and in the way of I don't like when stage managers tell me how to fix a prop or how to make a prop or something because I've had that in rehearsal reports sometimes of saying we need this puppet to do this can you add this string to do this or blah 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 you know something and it's like well let me try to figure out because now I have to do it that way to show the director and everybody is like look we did it this way but like Eric said I might have other ideas to try first to save some time I also really love when stage managers give me priorities like if the rehearsal notes are extremely long and there are notes in there that the director is like really, really adamant of getting done by tomorrow for rehearsal. I want to know that instead of just giving me a list and saying, oh, well, why didn't you get this? The director really wanted this done today. Well, you didn't tell me that you just, you had 30 notes and I, I went through and tried to do as many as I could. So prioritizing is always my favorite. <laughs> yeah, a question about your, your first comment. If if a director said, I want this change and I want it this way, would you prefer a stage manager putting that in the report? Like the director wants you to try this or does that matter? Because there's a number of directors that I've worked with that are very specific about how they want a prop fixed, even if it's not the right way to fix it, but they, you know, have their own ideas. Yeah, um, when, it, when it comes to the, the director saying specifics like that, I... Because I always feel torn. I'm yeah. like, I don't want to tell the props person how to do their job, but I know the director's reading this report. And if I don't put that in there, the director is going to, you know. <laughs> yeah, it gets tricky. I I think it gets tricky. But I think like you just said, if you say the director would like this, I think. Yeah. I, I feel like there's an understanding. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like we all get it. It's like, okay, you know what I mean? It's very passive aggressive, but I think all stage managers work like that. <laughs> <laughs> This is what the director wants. I know you know how to do your job, but <laughs> just passing on information. Yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. it's helpful to know where the note is coming from because every once in a while, like actors get the stage manager to sneak in their own notes. Yeah. You know, like, oh, the actor wants this and the director doesn't even know about it. So if you know it's coming like straight from the actor, you could kind of double check with the director mm-hmm. and the designer first and be like, do you want this? Or are they just trying to yeah. circumvent you? Mm hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. When I get notes like that, and they're like, the actor wants a green pin. And I'm like, 
because it's a character choice or because they like the color green. Like, I don't really care what the actor wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. If the actor has a specific thing, like for food, I'm allergic to this, so I can't eat it. That's reasonable. But if the actor just wants something because they want something, I'm like, you got to give me a better reason than that. Otherwise, I'm not yeah. wasting my time on that. Yeah. So what about Cece's thing about a TD? Like, how how does your communication work with a technical director? Do you guys talk to them on regular basis or does it depend on the show? Like how much interaction you have with a tech director? Yeah. Um, So where I work now, uh, we both work in the same building. And so we see each other every day. And so we're kind of, kind of in a constant communication, you know, because there is a lot of stuff that overlaps. So I'm always just like um, going back and forth. Like, are you doing this? Am I doing this? Um, Can I see this? make sure it fits uh how am i going to hang this on your wall can you put a you know something to hang from there and that sort of thing and then we you know we also have regular uh weekly department head meetings so we can mm-hmm. kind of like present stuff to the whole group so i i just i like to have sort of constant communication so that there's never any surprises yeah i agree when i was at yale our technical directors were always downstairs so anytime we had a question or needed to brainstorm or collaborate on something, we would just run downstairs. We saw them every day, meetings every week. So I I like constant communication, just like Eric said. So there's no surprises when you get to tech. Because that's the worst. That's the worst when you get to tech. There's a surprise that could have easily been fixed just by a quick conversation. Especially because uh-huh. tech's already so long and so stressful. The last thing you want is to be like, okay. Well, that just extended my 16-hour day to a 20-hour day. Thanks. (laughs) It's the last thing you want. Uh, Going to food, you guys have had a couple podcasts uh, that talked about food. And I know as a prop person, it's always a big deal because I don't know if it's today's world or what, but you never get a show where food is involved, where someone isn't gluten-free, (laughs) lactose-free, vegetarian, doesn't eat specific things. Um, and trying to figure that out, how how do you guys deal with that? Does the stage manager figure out what people can eat or not eat? Do you guys talk to them? How do you go about food as props? Well, when I first see that there is food needed for the show, my first question is to the stage manager. I need a list of all of the dietary restrictions and allergies of all of the actors. And I go from there and then depending on what my restrictments are, um, will determine how long I need to spend on finding food or not. (laughs) I like to definitely give them a a few options in rehearsal and do a food rehearsal just because Mm -hmm. using real food changes the timing, changes the action. Um, You never know, like when you're having a meal, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm carrying a spoon here and I'm carrying a plate and Mm -hmm. I can't actually exit the way I thought I could because I have to carry all this stuff. So uh, uh, figuring all that out before you get to tech is great and and getting, you know, some sort of practice meals so they know Mm -hmm. like this is what this is going to taste like. And if they really, really hate it or they want something else, I have time to like figure something else out rather than scrambling during tech. Yeah. And in those rehearsals for food with the actors I always love showing them if it's you know a packaged meal that you know was frozen and I heat it up showing them the ingredients showing them exactly what's in it and the packaging and every little detail because to me it's all about making sure that the actor is comfortable feels good especially when you have an allergy you don't want to like there be a miscommunication or you accidentally oh are you sure there's not 
something in this? You know, is there peanuts in this? Are you sure? Um, so just showing them everything that's in it. And it calms them down because you don't want to just give this to them. You don't want to give them food for the first time during tech because they're already stressed. You're already stressed. And you don't want to throw in this additional thing that they might hate. They might freak out. They haven't had time to think of it and causes more problems if you add it in then. Speaking of adding things in, how do you guys feel? Um, this is something I didn't experience really before I got into opera and it's, it's very different in opera about giving like as many actual props as possible during the rehearsal process, or do you try to wait until you move to stage? Oh, I give real props. The moment I have it, it goes to the rehearsal room because the thing is, if it's going to break in like during the run, it's going to probably break in rehearsal. So I want to know so I can fix it or get something new. I want to know what you're going to be doing with the real item. And they want to get comfortable with the real item. And I know a lot of actors get attached to their props. It's very much like a trigger for them to get into character, to stay into character. So if you're giving them just rehearsal props and then you switch over when you get into tech to real props, they might be a little thrown and it could just kind of They'll be like, no, I want my rehearsal prop right back. And you're like, but that's not the right one. It's the wrong period. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I try to give uh, the real prop as soon as possible as well for all those same reasons. Uh, A few like times I want uh, paper props. I don't really give them the real thing. Sometimes like the larger furniture, especially custom built stuff, you just you don't have time to make, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a make it before rehearsals begin so you either do a rehearsal version or you like a Mm -hmm. rehearsal mock-up or something like that or just something that like stands in for the time being and you know like consumables and things like that but otherwise yeah it's uh i i like to give them all the real things uh Mm -hmm. as soon as possible and then you know we'll have a kind of designer run through just a few days before tech and that's actually my chance to kind of watch and, and double check that I've gotten them everything or, you know, make a last sort of list of notes like, oh, that's right. I was going to change that or, oh, they still need some of, something of this and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. What about prop walkthroughs? Is that a common thing for you guys before rehearsal starts? Because it's one of my favorite things to do with a with props masters and a director, like day one or even before cash shows up. Yeah, I I usually do it day one, and it usually is honestly just with the stage manager. I rarely get the opportunity. Yeah, I rarely get the opportunity to do it with the director and the stage manager. So I put a lot of trust in the stage manager that they're going to have this walkthrough with the director, or they're going to point out of, oh, this is the real chair that they're using for so-and-so, or this is the fake pillows, this isn't correct, you know, stuff like that to point out. Um, I would love to have the opportunity to have a walkthrough with director and stage manager. And there have been times that I have been able to do that in the past. And that's great because it opens up a conversation for, well, we pulled this and we think it might be real. And they can say, oh, totally done. Prop is done. Or they're like, oh, that's terrible. But where are you going in this world? You know, so it always opens up a conversation, which is nice. Yeah, I I definitely. Always have directors. Well, at least. My the past five years I've worked, it's almost always been with directors and stage managers. No, I usually just have the stage manager. But as a TD mm-hmm. and production manager, sometimes it's just me. 
walking through with the prop person if they can't be there at a certain time or again smaller theaters so it depends on who's there and who's working on what yeah yeah i'll usually it's just the stage management team uh usually in their week before rehearsals begin i'll I'll kind of go through the list on paper and any sort of like research that the designer gave me and that sort of thing pictures and then when i do my first big drop off of props uh, i'll kind of walk through everything and and uh, during the rehearsal period, I'll try to drop off props in that kind of like half hour before rehearsal when every when the stage management mm-hmm. is there so that I could kind of talk through stuff. If it's just like one single item that's uh, self-evident, I, I'll just drop it off whenever. Um, yeah. Yeah. With the director, it's 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 usually hard to like nail them down. I'll mm-hmm. I'll copy them on emails with the designers so they know that the choices we're making mm-hmm. and anything that's like that they'll definitely have a say in i'll i'll shoot pictures to them or like trick props i'll I'll take video and and kind of share it with them just so they're they have a chance to like react to it and, and say something but yeah yeah every once in a while i could catch them right before rehearsal and be like do you like this one or this one mm-hmm. other times i just give stage management like all right these are three options for the real one can when you get to the scene can you have the director look at them and pick one yeah yeah i do that a lot In opera, it's just traditional for us, like, the first day to have a a company-wide, like, production meeting, and then usually do the prop walkthrough either before or after. But also in opera, you spend the rest of the day just doing music, so it's usually a good time. Like, you have to be there anyways, but they're just doing music. So you're like, great, let's just go in this corner, and we'll figure out what all these props (laughs) are. But Yeah. And there's been a lot of times that that walkthrough was only with the ASM. Right, because they're the ones that are dealing with it. Yeah. So that's usually common for me as well. Well, I've done that before. Yeah. I just love having a director there because like you said, you get so many answers that first day and you don't have to wait for the reports to come Mm -hmm. out necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. I was once doing a show and uh, I was trying to get the director to do like a walkthrough and it was like just a few days before tech and I finally got it scheduled and we got through like four or five props and he's like, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this. And we stopped and that was it. And so we show up at tech and I just have to get like dozens of notes because it was, he was finally making decisions. (laughs) That's what I, which is what you do before rehearsal starts because then he's not tired yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I wish that was it. I also love when prop people, like like you said, Eric, come while people are there. I've had prop people, because in LA, everybody's working 15 different jobs, drop off props, then disappear, and then we get to rehearsal, and nobody knows there's new props, nobody knows what the new props are for, and then they're like, well, how come you didn't use the props? And we're like, I, what, what props? Like, where'd you put them? What are they? I didn't even know what this stick was for. Like, <laughs> there's no label on it. Yeah, if there's ever a time that I have to drop off a prop and I know I'm not able to either get into the room or I know it's going to be very quick and nobody's going to be there when I drop it off, I always make sure I am either texting a picture or emailing a picture saying, these are the things I just dropped off. Prop A is the napkin for so-and-so. This is the spoon going to be used in Act 2. And very detailed because if you don't tell them, you're not going to look for it. You're going to magically know, oh, I, my spidey senses are telling me there's new props. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a thing. Yeah, I like to, if I'm not if I'm not there, I'll place them like as conspicuously as possible, like right on their script or something with a big post-it note, like this is the phone for Act Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you get to designer run. You're like, why is nobody using any of these props? 
Mm-hmm. You find the box of rehearsal props like buried under something. Yeah. You're like, oh, here they are. And I've even made the mistake um, when I was starting out that I would drop off props and I would shoot a text or an email saying, hey, I dropped off new props. They're in the corner or something or not even saying that, just saying I dropped off props. And one, they either don't find them. And so they're not using them and you get to the designer run and you're like, why aren't you using them? Or two, they find them, but they're using them all for the wrong things. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you're like, no, no, that's not, ah, that's not for this character. It's for the other character. Ah." And so then the director's confused and they're like, well, why, oh, these are real items. Why are they real items? You know? So I always try to be as specific as I can. More information, the better. Uh, Yeah. Back to that. More information. (laughs) Well, then on that note, let's talk about actual prop lists. Mm -hmm. So I feel like every, every company kind of has their own way of doing it. There's some companies I've worked at that insist on like, numbering the props so then in the rehearsal report you can go back and say you know the letter prop number 32 or whatnot which i kind of find confusing especially on directors who change a lot of props um do you guys have a preference on how if it's Uh, numbered or not i personally hate the numbering system for props oh good i do too um i i like the idea of it I just don't think it's realistic for the props world because we're constantly adding, we're constantly changing, and every prop has a name. You know what I mean? So I don't understand why we also have to give it a number. Like, if we know this is so-and-so's chair, we don't also need to give it a number. And then when we're in the rehearsal report, it's like, prop number 17. I'm like, what prop is that? So I'm having to look back. I'm like, oh, so-and-so's chair. We could have just said that, you know? We're all using the same terminology. It's fine. And it's interesting because I've heard of different types of prop numbering systems. I've heard of the one that is just literally, you start at one and you go down. And when I was in college, I was actually taught a prop numbering system, which I liked, but nobody uses it. So it's like pointless where you have it's like three numbers you have your first number is the act the second number is the scene and then the third number is the prop whatever number of prop it is if it's like the second prop that appears in act one scene two it's the number would be 1.2.2 you know but it's very complicated and weird and nobody uses it so it doesn't it's pointless. Well, it makes sense because then you know where it is in the show, but then yes. so many times you like reuse props throughout the yeah, show. So then you're exactly. like, so it this is 1.2.3, but it comes back in in four. Uh-huh. And so that's why I just, I don't deal with the numbers when people put numbers on there. And when stage managers in the rehearsal reports refer to the prop number, I will send them an email eventually and say, I don't mind you using the number system. That's fine. But could you put in parentheses the actual name that we're using for it? Because that'll help me out. I think I actually did the opposite when I was forced to do that. I would say the, you know, the red chair, parentheses, prop number 42. Yeah, either one. Either either way is fine. As long as mm-hmm. the, the name is there. Because when I know we're in tech is. and you, I have a, there's a note for the red chair. They're not going to be like, we have a note for prop 17. Like, nope, that's <laughs> It's not going to be a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried numbering in the past, and, and I, 
no stage management has ever like taken me up on that they they get rid of the numbers they don't number any new props or anything so i have i have my own numbering system just for my spreadsheet to like uh do the budget automatically Mm -hmm. but uh from stage management i usually just i i want the page number and the character name of the prop and that that basically takes out like any ambiguity mm-hmm. it's like oh this is uh the candle that appears on page 32 by you know mr johnson not the candle that appears at the end now i know which one you're talking about yeah page but, numbers yeah, are so important most of the time like the name is just enough mm-hmm. trying to remember how else i do props list i think i was trained in grad school it was like the name of the prop but it only had to be like one or two words and then in the next column like a description of the prop and then mm-hmm. who used it and mm-hmm. probably because i do mostly operas like what scene it's in or what aria it's in mm-hmm. not necessarily page number but yeah they're always very specific that there was like two columns one for like the prop name and one for like the huge ass description of whatever that prop was supposed to be yeah, I always, always, always have description on the props list. I also want to know quantity. I, that's oh, right, one right. column I have. Right. They're one chair or they're 20 chairs. <laughs> right, uh-huh. yeah, I forgot that too. So then do you, because Stacy and I, will both do it simultaneously. But mm-hmm. sometimes when I get halfway through a rehearsal process, I'll, and there's been a lot of prop changes, as a stage manager, I'll send an updated props list. And yeah. then I started talking to Stacy about that. And she was like, well, we create our, we, she was like, as a props person, she usually will update the props list herself. Do you find mm-hmm. it helpful for stage managers to send a new one? Or do you prefer just to like use your own? Or do you use a stage uh, manager to kind of compare to and be like, oh, I missed this one? I love, 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 love when stage managers send me updated props list. Because the reality is you guys know more of what's happening in the room than I do. Because you're there. And we spend more time at our computers, I feel like, than you do. Yeah. I I definitely, I I keep my own props list up to date as I go based Mm -hmm. on like notes and rehearsal reports and that. But I usually, I ask usually the ASM or somebody to send me an updated props list at the end of the week. Um, Because I compare it because there's inevitably something that didn't get on a rehearsal Mm -hmm. report. Usually something minor, like a a prop is cut or something like that. But for me, a prop being cut means I no longer have to build it if I was planning on building it or mm-hmm. the quantity changed or just you know sort of minor stuff there's there's always going to be like a discrepancy mm-hmm. so I like to see what they think the props are so that I, I'm not going in you know uh, forgetting something or missing mm-hmm. something when and how props... do you prefer those noted yeah that's what I was going to ask like when I cut props and I keep my prop list updated I write in a column like cut on this date so that in three weeks when the director's like, why don't we have this prop? I was like, because you cut it on this date. Yeah, I usually, yeah, I like the strike through if, yeah. if a prop is cut, so it's still on the props list. And usually they'll uh, they'll highlight whatever they changed uh, from the last time that they send me one. Yeah, that's yeah, so I like quantity changed or description or if they added something, then so it stands mm-hmm. out to you. Yeah, I love when they're all color coded like that because that's... I'm, OCD and I love I'm very type A so I love that (laughs) but yeah with when it comes to cut props when you send me an updated list I love you know the strike through cut on this date I love that but the next week if it's still cut like I don't want it on the list anymore I want it gone oh interesting 
because if if it's a heavy heavy prop show and the director is constantly cutting and adding then it's just the list is just so much you know and there's so many cross throughs and there's so many ads and there's so many this that da, 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 da. and so it's depending on the show I will say if it's a smaller show then I don't care you know if there's like a handful that's crossed through and that's cut just keep them there that's fine but after a while I prefer them to be hidden um which I always do mine in Excel so I can just like highlight those sections and hide them and save it. And so if there ever was a discrepancy later on and the director is asking, well, why didn't I can just unhide those cells and say, well, these props that you took out on this date, you know? Oh yeah. I usually, uh, I usually like them still on because you get these directors who, uh, uh, three weeks into rehearsal, they're suddenly reading the stage directions, and it's like, oh, there's a shiffer robe in this scene. Why don't we have that? It's like, you decided in the first <laughs> week to cut that, and it's been cut since then. Like, all of a sudden, you're noticing that it's in the script. <laughs> yeah, I you're think right. that's why I do I it, that. to prove to stage managers or to directors, be like, well, because you made this decision on this date. Like, I took note, because that's yeah. what you decided. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like... Me think I should ask the next time I work with a props person, especially one that I haven't worked with, I should ask them how they how they prefer it to be done. Like, do you want me to just cross it out? Do you want me to completely erase it after the second week? Do you want, like, a weekly update? Or do you want it, like, you know? Yeah, because I think every props person works differently. Right. I think it's... I think more people, and this could be wrong, I think more people like how Eric has with, with them all on there. And if it's just me, it's just like too much clutter. I'm like, that, I can look back at a previous props list and let you know. You know what I mean? So that might just be a me thing. <laughs> but if, if I'm working with you as a stage manager, I want, you know, I feel it's partly my job to make your life easier. So if taking those lines out makes your life easier and it only takes me like five minutes i'm totally gonna do it because i need to keep you as happy as possible so you keep bringing me more props Mm -hmm. love it Uh, which is why i like the people i work with in philadelphia i text on a regular basis because they're like just keep giving us information so (laughs) if it makes them happy it makes me happy one of the props that always what doesn't always come up, but when it comes up is always a very difficult subject is weapons, both swords, well, daggers. Blood. <laughs> we actually just recorded an episode on weapons. Yep. Did you really? Yeah, it'll be released in a couple weeks. I was going to say, I haven't heard that one. Okay, it's not out yet. But weapons are always <laughs> a big thing because even a dull blade, actors manage to hurt themselves. And if it's not the same, you know, there's so many different styles of weapons, uh, swords and and guns and is the gun live firing is it a blank what size is the blank who shoots it who cleans it who's allowed to touch it can you go outside like weapons is just such a big thing how do you how do you guys deal with weapons i usually uh we almost always have a fight director so i've never had to to you know insist on having a fight director so that's uh basically starts the collaboration with them Mm -hmm. and i kind of you know work out with the fight director what the props are going to be and and hopefully you know kind of see the fight director in person and and actually show the props and like uh you know look them over so that when we introduce them into rehearsal into the fight rehearsal we're sort of going in you know on the same page and 
uh, presenting the actors with things we know that are safe and that we yeah. know will hold up over the stresses of the performance and that sort of thing. Um, and I actually are, we don't really do many shows with like sword fights or uh, any sort of like weapon kind of fights. It's always like either ad hoc sticks or things like that. But we do do a, a lot of shows with uh, guns. And so that as soon as, you know, even before the show starts, if there's gunfire in the script, I'm emailing the director and stage manager like, do you want live fire on stage or do you want an offstage live fire or is this a sound effect? Because I want to figure it out right away so mm -hmm. that we could start the safety training of the backstage crew and get, start getting um, all the, you know, all the safety uh, paraphernalia in order and, and procedures and things like that ready to go uh, even before we introduce the guns to the actors. Yeah, 100% everything Eric just said. It, safety is such a, a big thing for me as it is for, for many people. And I, I want to make sure the actors feel safe and are comfortable with using their weapons. And if it's a knife or anything, I make sure that is extremely, extremely dulled down. And I will go up to the actor and put it against my skin and say, see, the, it is it is safe. You're going to be fine. Um when it comes with anything like tying up or nooses or anything of that nature, I make sure I'm demonstrating beforehand, um, always making sure they feel comfortable. And I also have a spiel when I'm props master um, with a whole company before um, a weapon is introduced into the room. I have, you know, the whole spiel of that specific item what it can do, what it cannot do, um, any demonstrations that need to happen. And I also state, or I ask, who touches this prop on stage? Okay, those people that just raised their hands, you were the only ones allowed to touch this, and you're only allowed to touch it when you're rehearsing that moment or you're on stage. Because I, my biggest pet peeve, and I could go on for hours on this, <laughs> is actors picking up a prop and thinking it's a toy. And I don't care if it's a plastic gun that is a squirt gun. I don't care. If you're picking it up backstage and you're swinging it around and you're like, ha bang, bang, joke, joke, I will snap at you. That is the one thing that I have no tolerance for because you do not know what people have been through in their past and you don't know if the person next to you has had a real gun put to their head before and you waving around a, a fake gun that looks like a real gun could trigger them you know it's not it's i never thought not, about that yeah it's it's not okay it can trigger them and if it's an actor it could trigger them and they're about to go on stage and now they're not able to perform because they're having flashbacks or something. You know, that's an extreme case. Yes, I understand. But those things happen. And it is my biggest pet peeve when actors look at prop weapons and think they're a toy and now they can pretend they're a pirate or a gunman. And it's like, no, you're, <laughs> you're a professional actor. Start acting like one. And anytime a gun is handed to an actor... I make sure they go through the chamber and they look, okay, there's nothing in here and I am handing it to you now. 
or okay, I am loading it with the blanks. These are the blanks that we have talked about in the past. You are watching me load them. Like I want to make sure that actor is fully comfortable and fully aware of what I am handing them when they need to perform. I think not just the actors, but I always give the speech to the crew people and stuff too. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's always yes. like 100%. Somebody is designated to be loading this gun and cleaning this gun. If that's mm-hmm. not you, don't touch it. And exactly. don't dare go outside with a weapon. Because in today's world, if you're outside just care, even I wrap up my guns if I'm carrying them between the car and the theater or something, or mm-hmm. traveling with them, because prop guns look like real guns. And I don't yeah. want an actor or somebody to go outside playing around and get shot by the cops or something or get called the cops on because they're like, oh, but it's a prop. Yeah, but not everyone knows that. Like, don't exactly. touch it. Don't go outside. Don't like they even have to be locked up before and after shows and stuff. Like, it's, oh, yes, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. 100%. So then going with weapons. What? Oh, it's a long time. Since you... Yeah, I guess operas don't use guns as much. It's no, true. we just have Go a lot on. of sword fights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a lot of sword fights. Yeah, we do a lot of sword fights. I've done a number of shows with sword fights. <laughs> but... So then tying on to weapons, blood. Everybody's favorite thing on stage. How do you guys <laughs> deal with blood? Well, anytime I see a script that says there's blood in it, of course, there is an immediate email to the director with, you know, scenery and costumes or whatever everybody on well first is just to the director to see if there really is blood or not and if there is then you know it's a huge email just discussing blood what are we looking for where is it going what is the idea and then it um just evolves from there but that i you know got to get that immediately (laughs) yeah it's always gonna uh, involve like at least three or four different departments Mm -hmm. And uh, even like a simple blood effect, uh, costumes could be doing like a makeup effect to go with it. And mm-hmm. you're providing the blood apparatus and the scenery is, uh, you know, piping the air to a couch the, that you have a pneumatic effect or something, you know. So there's like yeah. a lot of different departments. So you kind of have to uh, everybody get on the same page, figure out, you know, figure out in the director's ideal world what does the audience see first of yes. all and then you could kind of start planning out what you need to actually do and hopefully again you do some sort of blood rehearsal and uh rehearsal before you even get to tech and mm-hmm. you know you could do it with water yeah. just so you kind of see like what happens what you need to do if the actors need to do any anything to make a technical effect work or if they mm-hmm. have to like uh you know break open a blood bag or open a pocket on their shirt or uh uh unclamp a valve or something you know whatever the effect is that figure out if they could work it into their blocking and their choreography and uh because because i you know this is goes for everything but i like there to be the, the least amount of surprises during tech as possible yeah tech is more you know you're seeing the lights you're hearing the sound you're seeing it on stage but all the prop stuff is like this is what we've been doing we know how to do it now we're just going to see what it looks like under lights yep. so the same thing with the blood it's kind of like oh here's the blood we've been practicing let's do it you know for real it's real blood this time yeah. but otherwise uh we're not changing our blocking or anything and speaking of tech um with blood i always it, it it's interesting because there's been times where we've gotten to tech and there is no time scheduled for blood. 
I feel like that's pretty common. And I feel that there has to be. Because, yes, we've been working on it and we have an idea of how it's going to be and yada, yada, yada. But until we actually do it in real time, in the real setting, we don't 100% know. And so I always push to be like, can we, depending on the effect, can we have 30 minutes to do this? Can we have an hour? Like, we need that time so we can perfect it. So when we come right back to it the next day or so in tech, we're, we've fixed all the problems, hopefully, and we're ready to go instead of, okay, well, we had problems, but we've got to see it again to fix those problems. Uh, I, I don't know. Okay, we don't have time. So, okay, now we're just wasting time, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it takes time to clean it up and it yep. takes time to prep all the effects. And it's yep. like you have to figure out how you're going to clean it up. Like who's coming out with a rag? Mm-hmm. Who's coming out with a mop? And, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's like like you said, you do the effect once and then you got to – it takes 15 minutes to reset it or something. Yeah. And if you don't have that time scheduled, if you wait until the end of the day or like five minutes before dinner break or something, then yeah. you're like, great, we saw it once. It didn't work, but we're moving on. Yeah, and they expect it to be perfect the next time. Mm-hmm. You guys have a an actual episode about blood, don't you? Yeah, we do for Halloween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I'm different – we talk about recipes too yeah oh awesome because there were some recipes like i usually did the uh if it was on costumes i did the laundry soap and food coloring Mm -hmm. with a little bit of cornstarch and i've done the if they're going to eat it the caro syrup with the food coloring but you guys talked about a peanut butter one that i never heard before Mm -hmm. yeah it's a great way to thicken and also make it a little more opaque and uh, because it's a protein, it, it makes it easier to wash out of a lot of fabrics. Yeah. But the problem is with so many people with peanut allergies these days. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> I guess you get like, I wonder if like almond butter. Yeah, I heard, I think somebody was saying, uh, oh, what was it? Tahini, whatever that is. Soy butter. Oh, yeah, yeah, Is yeah. a decent enough alternative. Interesting. Plus, it would make it taste better. I mean, caro sorb's just mm-hmm. so sweet. Not not everyone likes that mm-hmm. much sugar. Yeah. Or you get that one actor that loves it and is just, like, eating it, and you're like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one actor do that once. I I just I just walked away. I said, I'm, nope, not, not today. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just not going to mad it. I'm just not dealing with this today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, what? This is part of another episode that I listened to of your guys's. Mm-hmm. See, There's see, so I told you, different. you got to listen to all the episodes. <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts. I think I've I've listened to maybe five podcasts in my entire life, and three of them were your guys's. Because um, <laughs> you really bother me about it. Yeah. But um, there's so many areas that prop encompasses you know there's the arts and crafts there's the shopping aspect there's reupholstering there's uh, uh carpentry and welding and and all of those things are there props people that specialize in different areas or are you kind of expected to to do everything and if that's the case how do you do you take classes to figure that out or do you just kind of like learn as you go i mean there's definitely Sewing is sewing and building with wood is building with wood, but props is like the catch-all for everything. Yeah. Being a props master, I think you definitely have to be jack of all trades. 
but there are definitely positions specifically for props carpenters, um, props artisans that only do small crafts. Um, some people who only do mold making sometimes are hired on on your staff or freelancers who only do upholstery or something like that. Um, but I think for prop master specifically, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades because you you don't need to, you know, master all of the skills. I mean, ideally, yes, but you definitely need to know what you're talking about and you need to know how to hem the bed skirt if you need to during tech. You know what I mean? Like you need to know all of these skills. And I think that just comes from, for me personally, just being in the theater and working and just learning those skills because everywhere you go when you're working with the staff, everybody has a different skill set. So you're learning from everybody. I mean, I learned from my interns a lot because they might know something that I've never even worked with a material or so. So it's, it's just constantly immersing yourself in it and observing and learning and asking questions. Yeah, if you don't know how to do something, you have to know how to find out and how to find out quickly. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, something that's interesting is if you see shows, especially like the same show on the same theater, if you can imagine it propped by a different prop master, the shows kind of take on that person's uh, strengths and weaknesses. So like, mm -hmm. you know, I'll do a show, I, I do a lot of, you know, furniture construction so i'll have custom furniture in my shows whereas somebody else might be really into like set dressing so they'll have a very dense kind of set dressing with layers and layers of detail and things like that whereas another prop master might be really good at painting and so there's a lot of like custom faux paint jobs all over the set so it's like every every show kind of takes on the personality of the prop master who's working on yeah. it and there's all these like little subtle differences depending on what their strengths are and their weaknesses yeah that's so true do you have something that you prefer like a strength besides you just said you you build a lot of your own furniture is that yeah yeah i like to i like to build a lot of my own furniture you know i like to build custom stuff there there's certain periods i'm really drawn to you know mid-century i just did an art deco show i really like art deco um so if it's a period i like i'll try to find like the you know the the best examples of that period <laughs> what about you ashley what's your what do you think your strengths are um upholstery mold making life casting i definitely love love doing that and recently, some faux taxidermy. I've gotten into that in the past. Really? Year. Yeah. Um, it's very weird. Uh, not every show, you know, calls for a dead animal. How many shows? I think I've done like two my whole life that actually have taxidermy on stage. I've done a, a few, actually. I've built a, a dead deer that had, you know, blood everywhere. Um, and it was very, very much like a puppet. It had to movable joints and all that jazz um i've had to make a dead rat my favorite that i've ever made was a rooster that you cut off its head and then it bled everywhere it's like my favorite prop <laughs> i have ever made you talked about that one in one of the it. podcast and i was like oh yeah man, that <laughs> i talk about that prop all the time i love it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such a fun prop but yeah i think those would be my my three right there yeah, the, I, luckily I haven't. Don't envy. But it's so like there's a prop place 
uh, when I need taxidermy, I usually buy it from, but they're super expensive. But Ooh. I had to get this dead little mouse at one point, and I loved it so much that I put it on the set for like the next five shows. Like just somewhere <laughs> on the set because I yes. named him Mousy. He had a prime spot in the prop room. Like he was just so good looking. It was very <laughs> impressive. And I know they spent so long doing it because animals are hard to do. So <laughs> Yeah, and when I when I say faux taxidermy, I don't mean like animals that you could just um easily purchase at like a taxidermy store. Usually the animals that I have to make require not um they need to be able to have a floppy body i guess you could say you know instead of being a stiff taxidermy animal um because that that's a different art that i have not actually done is like true taxidermy but if you want you know a dead animal like i can i can build one mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost like upholstering with animal skin yeah it really is it really is it's you make your patterns you yeah, I never thought about it like that, but that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it, because I like upholstery. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Upholstery and animals. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my resume. Upholsters, animals. <laughs> I just wrote that in my notes, so that's great. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're getting close to the end. We try to stick to somewhere around an hour. Uh, so last question. Yeah. I guess last question, then we'll talk about some other things. Um, <laughs> twin stories. <laughs> we'll not talk about other things, but like, you know, how people can find you and where your podcast is and, you know, that marketing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So twin stories. Eric, let's start with you. You're an identical twin. Yeah. So I'm an identical twin. I have been all my life. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so my my brother actually went into law. He went to law school, but he ended up... Uh, uh, he's into intellectual property and he does a lot of stuff with uh, film and music and things like that. So he works, he does uh, uh, legal counsel for a public policy advocacy group. And their clients include IATSE, uh, the Motion Picture Association of America, the Recording Industry of America, all the major movie studios, Disney and things like that. So he's kind of, you know, he's got his foot in the whole entertainment world sort of thing. So we, you know, we we talk all the time about things like that, uh, you know, uh, intellectual property issues in theater and with props. You know, we're always like putting brand names on stage and I'm like, what does that mean? And that sort of thing. Yeah, because I know that's so that- cool. He just makes a lot more money than me. Right? And uh, probably a lot steadier hours. <laughs> uh, so is he out in on your your side? Is he on the East Coast, the West Coast? Yeah, he's in Washington, D.C. Okay. So that's about five hours from where I am now. Yeah, I guess if he that's was in California. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's like a five-hour plane ride plus at the airport. And all that. <laughs> it's super cool that he is in arts but a very different side of the arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely grew up. Our parents are uh, potters, so we grew up, you know, surrounded by art, and like that's how my parents made a living, and how they sent us to college, and all that sort of thing. So I guess we all sort of just gravitated towards that. I remember 
I remember and when I was switching to a theater major, you know, I told my advisor, I want to switch to theater. And the first thing he asked was, what do your parents think about that? <laughs> and it had literally never like dawned on me to even consider like worry about what they would say. Like, why does it matter what my parents would say? Right. Right? Of course they're going to like it. <laughs> well, it was cool that you had the support. Yeah, our parents were like, yeah, but what is your second major? Like, <laughs> but how are you actually going to yeah. make money? Yeah, that was mine too. <laughs> and look, we all have jobs that are paying bills in the arts. Mm-hmm. And you have a twin that you could fall back on if you need money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which is excellent. Uh, Ashley, how about you? You got any good twin stories? Um, I feel like I'm always surrounded by twins, which is weird. Um, I like to tell people I was supposed to be a twin. Ah, did you absorb to there? I like to think I did, but it probably, it was just probably a misreading from the nurse. But the nurse told my mom when she went to her first reading that there were twins, that she was having twins. It's actually quite common for one to not survive or be absorbed by the other one or just not make it. Yeah, we think she just, like, was a terrible nurse and just didn't know how to, like, read the heartbeat or something. But I like to think that I was a twin and I consumed that twin and consumed their powers. Yes. That is so, I'm like, ultimate. (laughs) But but really, it was just a misreading of the heartbeat. But we're going to go with, I ate my twin. I like like that one. You now have special powers. I now have special powers. But I'm sorry you're a singleton and don't actually have a twin with you. And I don't even have, a, like, siblings. I was, like, only child. I got screwed. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> Out in the country. <laughs> cornfields. That's <laughs> Quite different than us uh, doubles over here. <laughs> I don't know how the singles do it. Right? We, we say that all the all time. Because, <laughs> like, always, like... There's there's go times on, on. when there's times when because we you know we have the same brain we can't fully function on our own so mm-hmm. if we're both in tech it is really complicated to stay focused through all of tech if the other one is also in tech so there are times that there was one day I texted her and said I can't focus what are you doing and she had just texted a friend saying I can't focus so then I had to stop working for a couple hours and do like mindless stuff so that she could finish focusing during tech then when she was done on the east coast i had the extra time to finish things on my coast because i was still in tech but (laughs) people don't believe it but it's true (laughs) i love it i love it no i like i said i'm constantly surrounded by twins and there's actually a lot of twins in my families or in my family so i'm terrified that i'm going to like have twins one day i'm like ugh. Because, like, with me, I'm going to switch them up or something, you know? It'll be great. <laughs> I have, like, I have a plan, though. You know, I'm going to get a Sharpie and just, like, write on their foots, like. Yeah. Um, that's exactly mm-hmm. what our dad did. He yeah. put a little, Brilliant. little like, dot. Yeah, I can't remember if it was me or Stacey, but he said he put a little, like, black dot on our heel or on our toe, one of us, so that they could tell the difference between mm-hmm. the two. That's amazing. Hospital. So my yeah, my parents, my parents told me once that they just waited until we could talk and listen to what we called each other. And that's how they figured out who was who. Ah, interesting. But did you guys have your own language? Because we didn't start talking to other people until we were like two or something years old because we could communicate with each other. So we didn't need to communicate with the outside world. 
we we never had our own language. We just we all talked really quietly, and so people wouldn't really hear us. But we would just be like over in the corner, just. creepy and so you know then it was like it wasn't until i was 30 that i was able to talk loud enough for people to hear me consistently because you didn't have to you had a twin who was there right yeah it's like well my brother can hear me why do i have to speak up exactly he can translate what i'm saying works (laughs) maybe that's why i'm so loud because i consumed my twin so i'm like speaking for her too i think we just figured it out guys that's why i talk so much so we have two, two and a half sets of twins on here. It's perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, see, I love you guys even more now. Twin, I'm telling you, you got to listen to all the podcasts. <laughs> okay, so I guess because we could go on forever for twin stuff. Uh, the marketing stuff. So your podcast, again, Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts. Uh, I know you guys have a webpage called that. You have a Twitter called... At Silk Mache. At Silk Mache. Okay. I don't follow Twitter, um, but that's good. And then you both have... At least Eric has a webpage. What a, how do people find you? How do they learn more about you or follow your props or anything like that? Um, really, if you just Google Eric Hart props... You'll find it all. It's eric-hart.com is my main website. And from there, you could get to my blog, uh, anything about my books. And then like my Instagram and my Twitter is kind of what I keep up with the most. Oh, I don't. Okay. We don't follow you on Instagram. I looked up Silk Flowers on Instagram and couldn't find anything, but we can look you up individually. Yeah, we don't have an account on Instagram for our podcast, but we both have individual accounts. And I post a lot of my, my props on there. Um, mm-hmm. a lot. I have a website, but it, uh, I need to like make it look better. It, it's bothering me, but I think the link is on our, our podcast website, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Eric's blog, you also do a lot of video recordings of how you make props. Is that correct? Or you do like tutorials on there? Yeah, I've definitely done a lot more in the past than I do now, but I have a whole YouTube channel that's usually linked to from my blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff like companion videos to my books, that sort of thing. But also just uh, every once in a while, if I'm building a prop, I'll set up a camera and just kind of film the whole thing and edit it together. So it's like five minutes. You can watch me build the sword from Legend of Zelda or something oh. like that. <gasps> okay, we're doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad my husband just took his headphones off so we didn't hear that because that might be a birthday present <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent definitely gonna yeah definitely following all of that yeah and we're also on itunes and we are now on spotify that just happened like the mm-hmm. other day yeah I don't know if we're on Spotify, but we do, we, we're on iTunes too. So yeah, I'm always interested, like how do other people advertise their podcast and where are people listening to podcasts? Cause I listen mm-hmm. through iTunes, but I know there's a ton of other places people go for podcasts. Mm-hmm. I just went to your website and listened to your podcast on your website. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. definitely, definitely easy. And all of our episodes are on there. You just have to click on the episodes button at the top. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah. And, and there's some pretty pictures and stuff. I love pretty <laughs> pictures of, you know, props, dead animals, blood, swords. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the best thing. Way more exciting than stage managers don't have exciting pictures like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not true. I have really pretty paperwork pictures. Uh-huh. I was waiting for that. I was like, I feel a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I create 
really pretty paperwork, so stop judging me, Stacey. Okay, okay, <laughs> great. As long as it's color coordinated and easy for props to follow, I guess it's okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being on the podcast. This was excellent. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, and anything else you guys want to say before we sign off? I think we got. We're definitely going to put all your links and stuff in our um, on our website, and we post on Facebook and Instagram and all that. So definitely. I'll keep advertising you to everyone I talk to. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Yes, we just our last podcast we did. She spent part of the time just talking about your guys' podcast. We were talking to another props person. She was a props person. She needed to know about you know wheat bread instead of meat on stage. It was excellent. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for doing your podcast, and thank you for being on our podcast. And yes. we hope that like in a year or so we'll catch up again and see see how things are progressing yes uh-huh. that'd be great <laughs> so, thank you so much thank you, oh, thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye bye thank you for listening to today's podcast for more visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on itunes or google play music you can also interact with us on facebook or instagram at twinstalktheater Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.